Welcome back, Washington State fans. It's time once again for more bodaciously bitchin' bonus BS brought to you by Brett and Brent. Here they are, Brett and Brent. Welcome back to more bonus BS. Brent is joining me again here, and I think we're both surprised to be talking about Cougar basketball in such a positive light here. Uh, I, I kind of figured if we were doing any sort of podcasting here, it would be corona-related or it would be football-related, not basketball-related, but Kyle Smith has done a hell of a job in recruiting this year, and uh, he really is making a case to take the defending national champions up to the next level. Uh, I say defending national champions, of course, because the Cougars won the last basketball game of the 2020 season, um, and it was actually a much better season than we thought it would be. We didn't, we don't really talk a ton of basketball in here. We do a couple episodes here and there, uh, but they were a fun team to watch this year. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about our defending national champion Cougars. It was just awesome to have an exciting season full of good basketball games. Um, I would say that. We usually don't talk much during basketball season, just even offline. We're all kind of message you like, hey, are you watching the game? And to be honest, a lot of time I just do it out of duty uh, because <laughs> it's a long time between football season and football season. And uh, so it gets your coup fix in usually uh, until spring training for baseball if you if you follow it. But this was actually, you know, some exciting basketball. So... Smith had the team team rolling, and you were more communicative in following some of those games yourself, which I thought was which was pretty good. And uh, since maybe you're the more casual of, of basketball I, I, fans, you know, I was watching it for the same reason as you out of duty. It's just like, well, nothing's on. Cougs are on. Might as well watch the Cougs. And a lot of times this year, it's like, oh, you know, they might win this game. Oh, they did win this game. Or even if they didn't win the game, it's like, boy, they look good for two thirds of this game. And you know, I've been used to watching Ernie Kent teams where it's like, well, if Robo Franks doesn't have a great day, then it's not worth watching. Exactly. Um, there was some great basketball that we saw. I would think the Arizona State game, as an example, where uh, C.J. Alibay drains the three with a couple seconds left and and put that game out of reach. UCLA, they tied it up with a shot at the buzzer, and then they won that one in overtime. Um, you got to talk about Oregon, of course. Yeah, they the great win against Oregon. That was a uh, that was really unexpected. Yeah, um, I was actually playing softball in Las Vegas at the time, so um, for that and the Clay Thompson game, so I didn't get to watch either of those games, unfortunately. But imagine my surprise when I walk off the softball field and check the score, and it's like we beat Oregon. Uh, I mean, I forget what yeah. time of day that game was, but, you know, I was in softball mode all day, and by the time I got around to the Coug game, I figure, number eight Oregon, okay, did we keep it close? What? We won? Yeah, I had recorded it, because I, I forget exactly what else I was doing um, on that you're day. Not, you're not yeah. expected to remember what you're doing in January. So. Yeah, it, but I... I kind of caught the score of the game on the radio on the way home, like, unintentionally, and it sounded like the Cougars were ahead in the second half. And I'm like, well, that, that can't be right. And then they had you know, then they had a lead, and then it was like, are they going to hold on to this lead? And they played great down the stretch. 
so when I went back and, and watched the game again, it was just really, in some ways, strange to see them take a top... I want to say Oregon was a top 10 team at the time. I think they were ranked 8 at the time. And and to do that, I mean, that's a really big deal. And, of course, the Oregon State game was phenomenal with Clay Thompson in the house just celebrating. And Well, and, and, and the big one for me, too, was uh, the fact that his best bro, Steph Curry, who has no ties to Washington <laughs> State, who's one of the biggest ambassadors for the NBA as a whole, was there on the sideline, like, hooting and hollering and rooting the Cougs on. Like, rooting, you expect Clay to do that, but I think for the exposure of the program as a whole, having Steph Curry out there being, like, wildly into WSU, uh, well, as we'll get to later, I think that might have some sort of impact seeing the best player in the NBA saying, like, yeah, this school... Yeah, it was a really great way to represent the program and just show that what could be. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, we've been know. to plenty of Beasley Coliseum games with a couple hundred people, but when you see what it can be, what it can be, and it what what it's been relatively recently. I mean, it was only twelve, thirteen years ago that Tony Bennett had that place rocking. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, senior night, Tony Bennett's last year when Taylor Rochester hit, hit a three um, to beat Arizona State in overtime. I mean, that was really exciting basketball, and it's not that long ago. Uh, Cougar fans know how to support a basketball team when it's good. Um, they just haven't had a reason to do that for a while. And so for one weekend, it was great to have that back. You know, big upset, and then the celebration with Clay. And Pat Chun did a fantastic job of marketing that well. The television broadcast at the time was a really cool deal. Uh, my wife kind of caught part of it, and uh, she's learning what it means to be a Coug, but really was impressed with with how much Clay Thompson seemed to love his time there. And um, Golden State released a great video, uh, by the way. If you've not checked it out, you should you should dig through Golden State Twitter's archives, and they did like a good five minute vid- video of Clay going back to Pullman. Yeah. Incredible. Required viewing for every Coug, I think. It really... Now that you mention it, I remember that. And it's it's great marketing for the university and the program. And kind of, this was a year that we were not expecting much of anything uh, because they had lost Robert Franks, who was the team's top scorer. New um, coach. New coach, who we assumed would make the team better defensively, but the team was going to struggle offensively. And it's a talent thing, too. Yeah, and he assembled about half of his team without enough official visits, because Ernie Kennedy used a lot of those in his recruiting. Um, and, you know, it just... I remember when Dick Bennett got here, the first year that he was here was kind of rough. I mean, the team was obviously better, and they won, they won more games. Um, but it was it was still... They were still a ways away from really taking a step forward. And I think Kyle Smith actually has us on a quicker traje- trajectory to turn things around uh, than than Dick Bennett had. So that's that's really exciting. It speaks a lot of him as head coach. Um, when he came in, he said a lot of the right things. But there's a big difference between saying things that are good and actually executing and turning that stuff into wins. So, yeah, just a ton of positives. 
Well, uh, before we get too too far off it, this is something, even though we've been talking sports for about an hour before we started recording, <laughs> um, something that I did not really think to mention, you mentioned Pat Shun bringing in uh, Kyle Smith. Should we really be, I mean, I mean we, we should probably feel really good about what Pat Shun has done so far, right? I, I kind of feel like... Uh, Pat Chun is pretty much as impressive of a Power Five rookie athletic director as we could have seen. Um, I I, I kind of didn't have huge expectations for him because you know Bill Moose came in and you knew that he was going to reshape a lot of the programs. He reshaped football. He got us uh, new facilities for football. You kind of had high expectations for Moose, uh, but filling Moose's shoes uh, is 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 tough and so far I mean at least from you know a dedicated coog but not dedicated to every little bit of the athletic department type of fan that I am I think he's done great but I know you're a little more dialed in to uh, every athletic program than I am how do you feel Pat Chun's been doing I think I think I start we started out kind of skeptical and I kind of said like I don't know I think Moose has got huge shoes to fill, but you've really seen him, particularly, I mean, the Kyle Smith hire and the uptick in fundraising are two things that uh, are huge feathers in his cap. Um, we'll see longer term what it takes for him to get done, but Rolovich also, I think, is a good hire. And so um, the program is unquestionably moving forward. Um, they're talking about building an indoor practice facility and, and moving that along um, on schedule, which is a really good thing as well. So he's a man that has a plan, and he seems to be really good at some of the details uh, that Moose wasn't as strong in. I think Moose was a big picture guy. Yeah, he, he really got. I mean, he really got like we need some facilities here, and we need to pay our coaches wages that are uh, worthy of a Power Five position and we can't do everything on the cheap he didn't always hire the right people with that though um you know uh, sure he paid Ernie Kent money but he didn't deserve that's it that's prime example number one I think some of the people he had in the athletic department were were sort of buddy hires uh he also goofed up the baseball hire uh which looked good on paper but and and once again I'm actually kind of excited to see what Chun's hire does yeah and Brian Green certainly recruited well mm-hmm. um in, down in baseball and so I think it's always a process to move forward. Getting those facility, getting the football um, operations building built, uh, is really a remarkable feat, and I'm glad that Moose built it as a first-class facility and not trying to save twenty, thirty percent and having a building that just wouldn't really stand out. I almost wonder if uh, twenty years from now that might be named like the Bill Moose Building. It might be. Um, hopefully with a big check attached to it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's great what uh, Chun has done. I think he's going to be a hot commodity in the future. And That's the other question I have with him, too, is, uh, you know, obviously he's a rising athletic director, um, and, and I feel very confident about what he's done, and even more so with what you've just said. He gonna stick around, or what's, what's the deal there? Because uh, if he keeps building WSU the way he's building it, you know, a bigger school might come calling. Oh, I, w- 
I think absolutely that someone's going to come calling for him at some point. And you just hope that the base of support for the university continues to build so that they can make another good hire and keep moving things forward. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just where the program is in relation to the college football landscape. But right now, if, if an SEC school is looking to take a step forward where they are just, they have more money than they know what to do with, they're going to go hire the best available candidate. And we've got a pretty good one here in Pullman. And that, you know, I, I think that just speaks to um, how how good WSU has done uh, with a, with acquiring Chun. That, you know, a couple of years ago we were like, I don't know. And now he's yeah. really being seen as a rising star in, in his field. Um which unfortunately means he'll be more expensive to keep around, but also uh, I think he's showing he might be somebody that's like, you know what, we'll pay you that raise you want to stay here. Yes, and you keep him around as long as possible, um, and then when it's, you know when he moves on, he moves on. And uh, but that's the nature. I think the tenure on athletic directors tends to be around a ten-year time frame. Mm-hmm. They've they've done all they can do at that point. They've really uh, you're not going to be building any new relationships uh, with people probably after about that time. You're not going to get any new funding projects done at that time. You've just really done all you can do, and it's time to take on a new challenge. Um, but the longer you keep them around, I think, again, the better position that you can leave the uh, successor in. Yeah, exactly, and you can attract a, a successor that is a rising star themselves or established star themselves as well because they'll look at what WSU is and they'll think, I want to maintain or build it. Yeah. Um, so basically, Chun's success is WSU's success no matter how long he stays. Exactly. Um, so before we go into basketball facilities, which is something I think we should talk about, um you know, we we talked a little bit about thoughts on last season, but not entirely. Um, there are some highlights. You know, they had a 500 record for the first time since uh, the 11-12 season. Um, they swept the Huskies. We obviously talked about the Ducks and Beavers as well. Uh, we talked about retiring Clay Thompson's jersey. Um, but yeah, we've got we've got the Pac-12 tourney and a little bit more gloating about national championship to go on here. Um, but before that, you know, I think there are some moments that really stand out. Uh, sweeping the Huskies is a big one. And the big moment for me was Noah Williams basically deciding, like, this is my city. Uh, that was the moment. That kind of reminded me of the Felix Hernandez, this is my house, uh, from a couple of years back against the Blue Jays. Um, and... I don't know. I mean, I, I like seeing that kind of cougar pride, and I like seeing a Seattle basketball player come out to Pullman and be like, no, this is my house, uh, and and really take that rivalry to heart in a way that neither team really has in a while because it's kind of been the Huskies' game to lose. So, Yeah, no, I mean, those are some great games, and uh, Noah Williams really played well in that Apple Cup. Um, and... For some reason, the student section decided it would be a good idea to taunt him and uh, tell him he was garbage, and he just let him know it was his city, which <laughs> was which it's was like, a really like great pro- moment. He probably didn't need the motivation, but you yeah. gave it to him. But you like, say he's that, a highly motivated guy as is. <laughs> then you drain a couple uh, free throws. It's nice. Hey. That that was 
that was a really great moment. Um, so, you know, the winning streak now is at two against the uh, the hated Huskies, and you know, let's see if we can expand that next year. Um, UW really fell off this year. Oh man, I mean, and they had know, a really. I mean, that's almost a whole other topic. But they. I remember Dave Wyman on Seven Ten saying basically because of the talent, and Dave's not a Husky guy, but he he's a good sports mind. Um, he basically said like, "Look, they're gonna make a run. Eventually, they're gonna make a run. They're gonna make a run. They're gonna make a run. They're gonna make a run." And based on their talent, and I like Hopkins as a coach. You know, yeah. not because he coaches the Huskies, but he's a good coach. I kind of agreed with Dave. Eventually, they're going to make a run, and then they never did. Yeah, they. I mean, they were better by the end of the year, but they never really got that thing rolling. And they lost a lot of close games, which makes me think like they'll probably win a lot more. Like a lot of that's probably dumb luck, uh, but yeah. But it also probably means the recruiting class isn't going to be as strong as it was the year before. Yeah, it's cohesion really makes a difference in a lot of those close games. Does everyone know their role, what they need to be doing, and, and who's going to get the ball? And well, he you have in, to have someone who can execute. He brought in a couple like one-and-done type players, too, which I thought he was going to be a four-year builder, and here he's going the Romar route already, and I thought, like, look, I, I hope he keeps doing it, um, but that just seemed off-brand for Hopkins to me. It seems to me that building a program up of guys... It's it's super hard because if you get a guy who you know is going to be in the NBA and has got all the talent in the world, I mean, do you keep that guy out of your program? No, not, certainly I mean, not. Even Coach K and but do you John really, Calipari are, do, are doing it. You know? But those guys get two or three of those guys instead of one, and yeah. then they have to build the team around that one. Um, you know, it's, if you get like three five-star recruits, then you know one of them can bust, and you got your other guys around them. Um, I don't feel like UW was quite at the point where they should have started going for those one and done type players. Yeah, and they might you know they might not have been. I I sympathize I guess with the, the dilemma that that one and done puts you into. Because um, yeah, you don't take the local kid and um, I want to say like a ball, mm-hmm. Lorenzo, like Lonzo Ball. Couple years ago, I mean, he totally turned UCLA into a a tournament team. Um, really, just him. And so you take that. I think a lot of times, if you can, as opposed to a, what would have been a pretty brutal rebuilding year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I think, a lot of these players don't know what to do down the stretch of games in order to win them. It's very rare that a freshman is going to be able to to be the guy with two minutes to go against someone who's three years older than them. Mm-hmm. And uh, hats off to to Kyle Smith, getting back to him, for putting a team that could be in position to win some of those close games. Because uh, Coos didn't really blow anybody out this year. Um, tell Colorado in the uh, Pac-12 championship. I mean, that was like their easiest conference win of the year. But they were able to execute down the stretch. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, I mean, just winning a Pac-12 tournament game, you know, is a big deal, obviously, since they've not done it in <laughs> so long. But it's amazing to think, uh, it's it's it, it's amazing to think that has been what since uh, you were doing the research on this was Clay Thompson on the last team that won 
Uh, yes, I believe so. Uh, okay. Clay Thompson's freshman year, they won one Pac-12 tournament game. Uh, that's 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 too long for it to yeah. only be two W's in that span. Yeah, there was two coaches in between that. Ken Bone didn't win any, and neither did any Ken. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and the thing is, like, it. it I mean, it, it's really bad to look back on the Ernie Kent era and be like, boy, I wish we had the Bone era. And um, both of those eras, nobody should ever pine for. Yeah, they were they were pretty bad. And and again, I think it's important to consider that Ken Bone was really set up for a pretty good level of success. I mean, he inherited Clay Thompson... And uh, D'Angelo Casto um, and Xavier Thames, who went on to play in the NBA, and was not able to get that group of guys to the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. um, largely as a result of barely losing in the NCAA in the Pac-12 tournament to Washington, um, despite Clay Thompson having a great day. The the program may look different if he's able to get the team to the tournament, and that could help springboard things to the future. Instead, you're going to the NIT and the CBI, and and that's really not exciting if your program's on the downswing. And then there was just no ability by Ernie Kent to elevate the program beyond where it had been. Um, and so we've been in this valley, and so... Seeing this program start to turn the corner and start to rise to where we would have played in a postseason tournament for the first time in a decade. Sure, I mean, even just winning that Pac-12 game is probably enough for a CBI invite. Yeah, they had, uh, Kyle Smith had said the team had gotten a CBI invite and they were going to go to it, which was sure, which was exciting, right? We were like, woo, postseason basketball. Hey, why wouldn't you go? I mean, if it's been that long, you can't be like, we're too good for the CBI. Yeah, go. <laughs> we're going. You're going. <laughs> yeah, and so that's exciting. And then... The, uh, you know, just seeing, like, the momentum, I'm like, that's not going to be the best team that Kyle Smith puts together. It wasn't the the culmination of a run. It was the beginning of one. Well, the fact that he put a team together that's that good when he lost Robo Franks and, I mean, um, L.O.B. and Noah Williams were probably his two best players, yeah? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, uh, and Isaac Bontenot, you know, wasn't statistically great um, as far as no, his but efficiency. he could come take over. Like I watched enough games last year that I could see he could come over and just he he could come in and take over a game for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, he could he could basically come in. and You're like, all right, well, he just gave the Cougs a eleven to three run or something like that. Yeah, he he was also a pretty effective player. But they're still, I mean, they were still figuring things out, you know, throughout the year, and they continued to get better and. That's very encouraging when you see your coach making adjustments as the season goes along. Uh, you see other players develop and find roles. Um, and this was a team that really was not established early in the year, but they they found a mix that continued to get better, which goes to, I think, some of Kyle Smith's statistical analysis. He really is... Is he like a moneyball basketball coach? Yeah, um, so he's I mean, kind of... I mean, I know that phrase is kind of overused, but <laughs> but it, but is that kind of what he's doing? Is 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 kind of uh, finding the inefficiencies in what people think a good basketball player is, and basically being like, you do this well, I'll plug you in here. 
yes, he really has targeted certain metrics that that he he focuses on ways to improve a team's performance by improving certain deficiencies. So um, they were the Cougars under Ernie Kent had been really bad under like in three pointers allowed, mm-hmm. and so he put a huge emphasis on that. Um, he put a emphasis on turnovers. Um, you know, not just coming away with empty possessions. Um, and so, in that sense, he he figures out what he wants to improve on, and then he works at it, and then they're constantly measuring it. Um, it's not really, I mean, it makes sense in basketball where, like, either the shot that's worth one more point when you hit it, you know, the three, mm-hmm. like, that's a shot you want to be able to make more of, or you want to get as close as you can to the basket when you shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. And so basically, no more of these mid-range jumpers to own the libs. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like okay, if you want to shoot a twenty-foot shot for two points, you know, and that you're going to be under fifty percent on, you'll you'll let the team take it, right? Yeah. Um, but you don't want them just laying it up and in, mm-hmm. and so, and you also don't want them hitting open threes because yeah. that's bad. Like that 25-foot three-point shot... Let them take the shots from 20 feet away. Yeah. You know, they're... It's, it's a relative... It's, it's, a, it's a poor value. And yeah. so he understands that. I think he has done a good job of coaching teams on their tendencies. Like, he set up... One of the things I thought was kind of cool is he set a projector up on the court in their walkthroughs, and he'd watch... He'd, uh, he'd watch the other team's film and plays, and then they'd go out right after watching it and walk through it. Hmm. Which is supposedly innovative. Interesting. No, that is that sounds very innovative, honestly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I know we're not like hologram <laughs> technology yet, but it seems like the same basic idea of like you're gonna say like, okay, he's here, you got to block the shot. Yeah. Stuff like that. And they're and they're doing a lot more on the on all, some of their measuring and stuff and getting the the rub from like Clay Thompson and, and some others who are familiar well, with him. Well, and Steph Curry, as we talked about, too. Even yeah. even though Steph Curry wasn't the Coug, you know, there are a lot of kids that see Steph Curry going nuts at Beasley Coliseum, <laughs> and they're like, maybe this is a place I want to play. Yeah, it's all good. I think they're, he's he's on the cusp of... He's on the cusp of something good, and that's that's why I think co- uh, teams are going to be after Kyle Smith pretty quickly, so we got to do what we can to, to lock him down, especially when you look at the recruiting that he did. Pay the man. Pay the man. Like, Keep him know, around. No matter what happens next, uh, unless he just collapses next year, it might be time to talk extension already. Yeah. Um, so before we get on to the recruiting class, uh, you want to gloat a little bit about how we're the national champions? Um, that was, I mean, that's amazing. I think we're obviously the national champions. No one beat us to end our season. It's true. So there, there were we a couple of games game. that went to halftime and then got shut down, but you know what? There was no winner in those games. There was no winner. We're the last game. Yeah, the 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 Washington State Cougars won the last basketball game of the college season this year. Yeah, they need to hang the banner. <laughs> I, I really hope they do put some sort of tongue-in-cheek banner up there. Like, like you know, I, I know some people would laugh and say it's silly or just like it's a, a joke or whatever, but like... Come on, there's got to be some room yeah. for silliness. There's got to be some room for fun. Um, like, you know, it would be better than the Mariners' uh, ALCS participation banners that they've hung up, that we went to the ALCS in 95, 97, and 2000, or whatever it was. Yeah, you got to hang that stuff. We need yeah. banners to hang. 
Exactly. You know what? Like, if you need to make more room, you can just make smaller banners. First of all, we probably won't need more room for a while, unfortunately. Go kooks. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but but if we need to make more room, we can remake smaller banners. Um, anyway, all right. I guess we should get into uh, uh, the 29th ranked recruiting class in the country. What which, Did you say 29th ranked recruiting class in the country? Yes, in the top 30 by one. Um, in the top 50 by 21, um, and and as we were talking about before we started recording, because I'm not a basketball guy like you, um, the Cougs weren't rated in their recruiting classes under a lot of the Ernie Kent years. They were like, yeah. it's bad enough that we don't need to pay attention. Yeah. Well, and there's... And so, with, like, college football, you have, like, 130 teams. Right, yeah. so you can pretty much rank those teams. In basketball, you've got three hundred and fifty some. Mm-hmm. So I mean, even Chicago State has a recruiting class, even though they haven't yeah. won a game since the Nixon administration. Yeah, so it's it's hard to rank all these players um, out there. So you're if you're showing up with multiple players that are rated, you know, high three and four stars which there's six of them, three of which are four stars, three of which are highly rated um, three stars. If you're doing that, like, you've put together a pretty darn good class, and you're bringing in talent-wise better than most other teams in the country, which, I mean, it's a bigger deal to be ranked 30 in basketball than it is to be, like, top 25 in football. And we'd all be ecstatic if the Cougs brought in a top 25 Football recruiting class. Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, the Cougs had their, in football, their best eight-year stretch winning record-wise, never having a really highly ranked recruiting class. Yeah. And and Smith, none of the guys that he had some success with last year, were super highly rated. I, I mean, Bonton might have been one of the biggest success stories, and who the fuck knew who Bonton was? <laughs> Kyle uh, Smith. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, we... we <laughs> Damn it! I guess we got to use the explicit rating on this uh, this podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that gives me liberty to use two or three more f bombs throughout this. Sorry, yeah. friends, family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, no, we're good. As far as I'm just excited. I mean, I'm very excited about where the, the direction of the program's headed. And I mean, I check me on this, but I think we were like the top. We're either the top three or top four in the conference, recruiting-wise. Where are um, we? Yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead and, you know, fill some time while I, while I uh, double-check this, but... But... So, Smith now has brought in six of the top 20 all-time recruits for basketball uh, for Washington State, and he's been here two years. Um, it's just a, a dramatic increase in the talent level that he has to work with, and last year he proved to me that he's a good basketball mind. He knows how to he knows how to coach the game. I'm excited to see uh, what he can to, do. According to 24/7 Sports here, um, it it looks like they're fourth in the conference. Let me just run through this again. We got Arizona, we got Arizona State. No surprise there. Stanford, and as I continue down the list. Washington State is the fourth-ranked Pac-12 team on the overall national rankings. And that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just the level of... We've already seen what it's, you can do un- with... It's really unbelievable. Like, yeah, it's not it's incredible. Yeah. It's not incredible. It's unbelievable. 
So, yeah, I mean, this is better than the class with Clay Thompson, uh, which was a, a highly rated class. But you know, this one uh, rates even higher. So, Smith's got some talent to work with next year. Yeah, well, let's talk about some of that talent. Um, now, I'm going to butcher some of these names, and and uh, and he yes, he recruits internationally, and that's very difficult. And, and that's the thing. I do think that the names I'm going to butcher the most are probably the Eastern Europeans. Um, yeah, it's not Bob Smith that you're butchering <laughs> the pronunciation. <laughs> right, Bob Smith. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, did you rank these? By the way, uh, I, I started you, bottom to top. Uh, in my oh, opinion. Okay. Yeah. So, so what you rank number what what you list number one here is your least favorite recruit and the yeah. last one we get to okay all right just wanted to make sure clarify for me and the listeners I should have asked you this before we started recording but here we are we're uh, it only took a minute so uh, F A uh, Abadogi I, I believe that's a G you got there um, he he's the first recruit you have here so tell me a little bit about F A here. Yeah, so he was recruited out of Australia, mm-hmm. um, but he's from Africa, and I don't remember the country originally, and kind of got a scholarship for, uh, to to play and get developed in Australia at one of their pro academies. When he was like 15 or 16, he dunked a basketball from the free throw line, like Jeez. in a slam dunk contest. Uh, so he's like a 6'10 center prospect with just crazy hops uh, and has been injured for the last couple years. So that kept him from being kind of like a four or five star talent recruit. Um, and you wonder how a player like that recovers from injury. I always get skeptical when... The, when, best, abil- yeah, uh, the, he's best, had, the best ability is availability, obviously. Yes, and he's at... You know, at age 18, he's had two major knee injuries. Mm. And it's... So you just wonder about his durability. Sounds like an upside play here. Basically... Huge upside, yeah. If he gives you nothing, that's fine, but he could be a star if he is able to overcome his injuries. Exactly. And so if he's the guy who's kind of coming in... If he's If this is is your least favorite recruit... (laughs) If he... I mean, honestly, he'd be a guy... That I think in a lot of years he's your top recruit, and you just say, "Man, if he can stay healthy, maybe we have something here." So, in a situation where okay, he's the least favorite recruit, I'm loving it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, this name I know I can say T.J. Bamba. What do we know about him? Yeah, he's from Colorado. He's kind of a combo guard. Who is, is he related to La Bamba from the Conan O'Brien band? I certainly hope so. <laughs> Um, Sorry, I couldn't yeah. help but throw that in. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so he's he's got plenty of talent. Um, he really has been an explosive scorer his senior year. Uh, came on kind of late junior year, which it's weird to think of coming on like your junior year of high school makes you kind of a late bloomer in, in basketball recruiting, but that's just the nature of of the game of basketball. It seems like, though, that happens in a lot of sports. That you know, There are guys that are good since they were French freshmen, but there are also those type of guys that uh, just take the step. Like, uh, yep. I mean, you watched The Last Dance. Like, Scottie Pippen grew, like, four inches in college. You never know. Yep. Sam uh, Rodman didn't even play in high school. Exactly. Anyway, um, we could talk about The Last Dance off the air, but, but, but go on uh, with T.J. Bamba. Yeah, so he really, I mean, I think he averaged like a high 20 or 30 points his senior year, huh. uh, which is quite explosive. I think he'll be re- 
relied upon to provide some scoring uh, and a little bit of ball handling, but primarily um, kind of a two guard who's who's shooting and hitting threes um, and can do a little bit of penetrating and stuff like that. Uh, very needed on a team that that is needing another scoring option. Mm-hmm. Uh, when last year Ellaby and then uh, to some extent Bonton were really the guys who were were responsible for that. A third score could be a good thing. So I have high hopes for him. Um, but yeah, you know we'll we'll kind of see with him. Certainly he could be he could be a good one. All right, so we got a high score there. Uh, tell me a little bit about Jefferson Koulibaly. Uh, that looks like a name I can pronounce. So. Yeah. Hey, and he's from Canada and was like... Oh, take off, you hoser. Yeah, definitely a top five recruit in all of Canada. Um, some people have, th- have said he's the best recruit out of Canada. Uh, and he is a... He's more of like a point guard, but he's very athletic in his kind of gameplay. He's not more, more of a shooter. He's more of a quick drive, penetrate defensive type of guy mm-hmm. um, similar I think in some ways to Isaac Bonton but with a much higher ceiling and I'm I really see him as someone who's going to contribute immediately um, but be someone who really can take the the captain role of the offense uh, by year two it, you know assuming he he sticks around and really makes so it. So you're saying like the offense runs through him, or he's just going to call the shots uh, yeah. for the better? Well, he's more gonna, talented he'll players. have the ball. Like, like he'll, he'll take it yeah, to the top of the key. He'll take it up and he'll kind of start, and everything is going to key on what he does. So if he if he yeah, so he's the guy who really stirs the drink as far as the offense goes. Similar to what Bonton kind of does now, where yeah. when Bonton got hurt, the whole offense fell apart because it ran through him. Mm-hmm. I see him more in that mode, but he also he seemed very tenacious in his film when I was watching him. Like this is a guy who plays super hard and really wants to win, and you want that in a guy who's got the ball. Now, all I the mean, time. Uh, what what kind of benefit do you see to maybe having um, you know Bonton? Um, obviously, you know he got hurt and the offense fell apart. Um, is there something to be said about depth from this recruiting class too, so that? You know, maybe you've got somebody that might not be ready to take that role right now, but the offense might not fall apart because this is the guy you're grooming to take that role. Like, does that factor in at all to how you evaluate this recruiting class and uh, Kalabali specifically or or anyone else on this list? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I'm looking, I look more on just overall upside of a player. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, who, if they, they max out, Who's going to be the best? And then you try to merge a team with as many talented players as you can together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's more of how I look at it. But it's just a really talented group. And, you know, if they all hit, you figure out how to get the best five on the floor at, at a given time. Sure. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, so let's move on to, you, you mentioned talented names here. Well, this is a name that people are going to know as somebody who's very talented, but it's spelled differently. Yeah. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, not the Eagles receiver, <laughs> but, you know, if he's anything like the Eagles receiver, Deshaun Jackson, he's got otherworldly talent. Um, so, so basketball Deshaun Jackson, what do we know about this guy? Where's he from? What's he do? Well, he's from California. Uh, he's 6'10 center, and 
you know, he's he had a pretty decent offer sheet. And it was kind of a surprise when the Cougs just all of a sudden he's showing up as a recruit. They're like, huh, we got like a top 150 recruit that landed in, in Pullman who plays center. Um, and he mm-hmm. seems to be... I, he doesn't. He seems to be kind of a guy who can really throw down dunks, and he's going to play pretty good defense close to the rim. Um, so he can play against a center and and really protect the rim against a guy who's not humongous. But so he's not just a tall rebounder and a guy that could get yeah. some re- or get some uh, layups and putbacks. He's somebody that actually can defend in the key. Yes. Well, and anyone Kyle Smith gets, you can tell that he's. Wanting them to have some sort of defensive ability. I mean, he's a defense first coach, really. He does, right? seem, he does seem to be. Yeah, he sees a lot of efficiency in that. And um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how his jumper develops. If he can develop a, a decent mid-range jumper, he could really be problematic, I think, to stop. But I, I see him as a as kind of a a five or maybe a four, depending on the personnel they they employ. Mm-hmm. Um, and really that rim protector type who can keep teams from just getting easy lands, because um, even if they beat their man, he's in there to stop it, oh. has a ton of value. Uh, yeah, I forget who it was, like whoever Gonzaga's star was at the time that I was at WSU. Uh, we were we were going to upset them, and whoever their star was, I think this was the 12-13 season, came in and just, there was like 10 seconds to go. Cougs had just, uh, tied the game or taken the lead or something, and dude just comes in and lays it in. Like he just gets the inbound pass, runs in and lays it in. Like it's nothing to do. And <laughs> I, I am really ready to not see that happen ever again. Well, it's going to be harder for teams to do that with some of the guys they brought in. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Jackson's one Jackson's of those guys. someone who's going to really do a good job of defending the, defending the, the paint. So I'm excited to see what he can do. And again, where he, when I figured he was going to be the, the crown jewel of the class, I'm like, hey, that's a pretty good, pretty good group of guys we have brought in. And we got two names to go. Yeah, we're not even done. Yeah, well, let's go on to the next one then. Uh, why is Carlos Rosario better than Deshaun Jackson? Better than your supposed yeah. <laughs> jewel of the class? Well, it it just it just kept getting better. Um, and Carlos Rosario is uh, from, I believe, the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I apologize if that's off the top of my head not the right country. But he, no, you go he, ahead and talk. He came I'll, I'll, I'll verify for I'll you. verify. Um, but he came in to California and played his uh, junior year. 6'7", 180. Year what a twig. Yes. He is a bit of a twig, but he's he's kind of a three. And and he'll put the weight on. Yeah, I'm sure. he'll put the weight on. He's got great athleticism. Um, he's good at driving with the basketball. And he's got a pretty good shot. So he can extend as well. Um, I don't necessarily expect him to play a ton this year at the beginning, but you'd hope he can work his way into the rotation. Uh, and he's a guy who also has crazy athleticism, and uh, we beat out a handful of teams, including Utah. Well, he's expected to end up at Utah, but so ended I, up as a coup. I can't see where he was born, but he did play his high school ball at Garden Grove in California. Yes, but he he's not from the States, so 
Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting to see on 247 Sports, they, the crystal ball prediction still says Utah when he's committed to Washington State. That was the expectation, and that's a good recruiting victory. Not only to get him, but to keep him away from a Pac-12 rival. Sure, yeah. I mean, look, if he goes to Auburn, whatever. But yeah. Like, you, you want him <laughs> here instead of Auburn, but if he goes to Auburn instead of Washington State, fine. If he goes to Utah instead of Washington State, not only do you not have him, you got to play him. Twice, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's go to the crown jewel of the class here then. Um, Andre Jakimovsky, uh, what do we know about him? I mean, I remember hearing he was a big enough name that when, when the Cougs landed him, I saw it on Twitter. Um, you know, again, I don't know much about amateur basketball players, but what I did, what I was struck by was the fact that everyone was like, whoa, this guy's going to the Cougars? This guy's a really good player. Um, so what makes him the crown jewel of this class that did that that passes Deshaun Jackson or Carlos Rosario? Well, the word that gets basketball fans into trouble is what makes him so exciting, and that is potential. Mm. Um, anytime you see, I mean, he turned down some other colleges to come uh, to the Cougs, which in and of itself is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But he also turned down the pro leagues in Italy mm-hmm. to. Um, to come play college in the U.S. Right, and if you go to the pro leagues in Italy, you can just jump to the NBA the, if you yeah, want. Yeah, the NBA. But he he felt that playing with Kyle Smith would help prepare him better to make the NBA than playing pro ball in Europe. Um, he played in the the semi-pro league in, in uh, Italy, I think. And, you know, he looked pretty good over there. The one question mark uh, for anyone overseas is it's hard to really know the the talent level that they're playing against. Whereas in the States, you kind of know the strength of various leagues and you can just discount it by where they're playing. Right, and it is interesting to see a guy wearing a North Macedonia jersey here <laughs> in his profile. Um, but, you know, I mean, he is 6'7", 205, and, and Rosario is 6'8". Uh, 190. So, looking looking at him, he looks the part of somebody that's big for his body already and might have more room to grow. Well, he's, I mean, he's like 200 pounds already. They're saying 205. Yeah. Yeah, 205. So, because he was like originally at like 175 when they were talking about him. Yeah. And you're like, okay, he's a twig, but he's bigger. And he looks a lot thicker yeah, in some of eight. these more recent pictures. Yeah. He doesn't have crazy athleticism. Um, and that's one of the first things that you, you notice off him. He just looks like a guy who's pretty smart, but, uh, like, there's people that don't jump off the page. Uh, they don't jump off the screen when you're watching them play basketball uh, with just how quickly they move, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, the guy had a double-double. Yeah. You know, like, huh, just quietly doing it. Um well, I mean, like, it, obviously this is a wild... I'm not making a comparison here, but, like, Shaq never looked fast, but yeah. he always had the numbers at the end of the game. Even Shaq in his prime never looked fast, mm-hmm. So, but but he still got it done. Yeah. I mean, and, I was, and again, I'm not saying he's Shaq. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying sometimes slow-looking players put it up at the end. Yeah. And so at 6'8", and he could maybe grow another inch or two in college. Mm-hmm. He has plenty of size to get inside the paint and grab boards 
at the Pac-12 level. Um, you saw, really in his film, he's getting rebounds just based on just superior positioning. Um, and he has a very nice-looking shot. Like, gets good elevation on it, it's going to be hard to defend. And he's quick enough to where if you close out to block his three, which you have to do because he'll knock it down, he can just take a step by it, and then he's got another open shot. So mm-hmm. it'll be difficult to defend. And you, I mean, if you have a guy who's big enough to play the four and can shoot the three at a, a level like, at, let's say, Robert Franks, I mean, we saw with Robert Franks, it's a really difficult player to defend. Because you're like, oh, crap, I... You know, you either let him shoot the three or he's going to go in for a layup or something like that because he can handle the ball. Boy, how di- how much has the game changed, though? Because I remember when I was watching basketball, I would have never thought someone that looked like Robert Franks would take a three. Yeah, but that's... But the thing is, um, but the thing is, like, that is that kind of player now. And if you've got that guy that can take the three or just go drive the lane, um, that's a huge advantage. Yeah, and so... I mean, you see that, you kind of go, okay, if that, if he develops, he could really be a good player, and uh, it's it's pretty, I mean, that could be pretty lethal. Um, he also is a, he seems like a pretty, tenacious, I mean, he seems to always give a good effort on the defensive end, um, really was positioned well. Um, a little bit of a Jack Black and Kyle Gass, he plays some tenacious D. <laughs> yeah, and... I, I wish I under I mean I wish I really had a sense of how good the league he was playing in Europe was because mm-hmm. um, you know if he's playing against some some super talented guys then okay then yeah he can he can definitely play seems I think he like can definitely he, play at the Pac-12 level seems like year to year that might be like there are good guys and bad guys in that league all the time but just knowing which year you're watching is tough because yeah. because a lot of the good ones move on to the NBA or American college. Yeah, they all they all cycle out. So you don't know if you caught him in a good year or a bad year. Was he dominant among peons or was he dominant among guys that are going to be something? Exactly, exactly. Well, so, I, but but the potential that he has, obviously, I mean, someone like that develops into a first round pick. Sure, yeah, could he absolutely could, and, and that's the new guys. But let's focus on some of the returning players. Uh, we got more returning players than we have new players. Um, Which is a, it's a welcome change. I know, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, we've been talking about defense a little bit. Let's start with Noah Williams, who who can do a little bit of everything. But I, I kind of think of Noah Williams as a defense-first player. Uh, am I wrong in thinking that? or No, he's a really good defender. Um, he's, and what do you think he, he'll do this year beyond just... Be, I mean, obviously, go on about his defense, but I want to make sure you're talking more just about his defense. Like, Let's go over what Noah Williams brings to the Coots. Well, he was... He seemed to have a knack for taking charges, mm-hmm. and that's just he's so quick he can get to a spot before the offensive player can. Mm-hmm. So you think you've got him beat, and all of a sudden you're committing a foul, yeah. uh, which gets a turnover. I mean, that's as good as a steal. Um, he can defend, really, your one, two, three, and some fours, just because he's got he's six six um, and he's quick. Uh, so he can defend a lot of different players on the court, which is great value. He's a pretty good ball handler. I was impressed with that from him last year. And and that means he could be your point guard, uh, hopefully for 
some stretches of the game. Probably not your primary point guard, but someone who can who can uh, be a ball handler. And he had a decent mid-range jumper, um, and you would hope that he can develop a little more range and be able to hit the three. Um, so looking back at like Kyle Weaver when he was a Coug, uh he didn't develop that mid-range jumper until he was a junior, and then he went from being a pretty good player to like a star. Mm-hmm. Hopefully Noah Williams can do something similar, but also, I would hope that, uh, I mean, he can continue, like, he plays very good defense, but he found himself in foul trouble more than you'd mm-hmm. like uh, for a guy mm-hmm. who really is going to be leaned on a lot more this year. He's got to figure out a way to to not get himself, you know, let stupid him, fouls. Let himself play some more minutes. Yeah. Don't, don't take yourself out of games when uh, he's already started developing that reputation of being a little bit of a of a you know of a hacker or a bit of a cheap player, and you don't like that because you hate it when you get called on a foul based on your reputation. And if you become a if, if you become that star first, then you don't get those fouls. Unfortunately, if you get those fouls first, then yeah. that's how people see you. It could be. So I'm hoping he plays with a little less of that, you know, recklessness. Because um, he committed, I mean, he 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 was a freshman last year, and he definitely committed more than his share of freshman fouls. Where it's like, just don't pick up a foul there. Like, there's no benefit in it. Don't leave your feet and then draw the easy foul. Now, um, before we move on to number two on your list here, do you think there's any benefit in the fact that Noah Williams is a Seattle kid? Um, first and foremost, just because like, hey, we're we're you know, from the west side of the state, and, like, it's cool to see a Coug on the, that came from the west side, um, but my thought is, maybe if Noah Williams comes in and, you know, you sweep the Huskies, um, maybe you get some of those Seattle kids, and Seattle's a pretty good basketball talent area, Mm -hmm. they might, they might decide, you know, like, where it was before an easy choice to go be a Husky, maybe they see Noah Williams, an underlooked kid from Seattle, go out to Washington State, do you think Noah Williams' success might help lure some more of these Seattle kids in the future to, whether they choose it or not, um, consider Washington State or maybe not go to the Huskies? Potentially, because you have a bit of that NBA rub that the Cougs have gotten, kind of from Clay Thompson, mm-hmm. who who really endorsed uh, Kyle Smith and what he was doing when... Uh, obviously, with Clay Thompson down at in Golden State, you know, playing for the Warriors, uh, University of San Francisco is down in the same area, so they were familiar with each other and really respected each other that way. That's something that Tony Bennett never had. He got frustrated when coaches in state would encourage um, their players to leave the state as opposed to playing for Tony Bennett at Washington State. He lost some commits that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know that was a real frustration for him. But Tony Bennett did not have the, like, the NBA um the NBA rub. Yeah, he didn't have that he didn't have that, you know, just style to him. It was his reputation when he was in Pullman was it's slow, it's boring basketball. Um whereas Kyle Smith, if he can get a bit of a brand as a guy who's gonna help get you to the NBA that's what you want in college basketball right now. Well, and doing it with a Seattle kid might get some of those Seattle kids to 
want to come yeah. to you instead of UW. Potential. It's all. I think it'll always be difficult uh, because of some of the shady stuff that comes with college basketball to get the players and out of Seattle. Stuff that comes with the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's always going to be difficult to pull kids out of Seattle because um, yeah, they're getting they're getting paid very well in certain circumstances, mm-hmm. uh, and like literally like Markel Fultz, mm-hmm. you know, like that I think is public knowledge. Um, what was going on with that? Um, Romar is a great guy. Yeah, Romar is a great guy that has extreme character, Brent. Yes, I know extreme character, and a lot of reasons. Extremely to, bad character. <laughs> yeah, he, he he has character. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, Where can, on the yeah, spectrum you, that, it is? I'll leave that up to the listeners. I already made my <laughs> I already made my stand sound, but Brent, you just have to guess. I bet you can't guess where I, he falls. Yo, know, you've really be, you've really kept it. Uh, Kept it, it very secret. It's very secret. <laughs> <laughs> I think we yeah. spent enough time yeah. on Noah Williams, though. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think I mean it'll help. It and certainly that ability to to recruit, as we can see, um, Kyle Smith's got. You know, he's he's a really sought after coach right now. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, just make sure we pay him whatever it takes to stay. Um, but let's move on to Isaac Bonton, who I thought was, you know, one of the breakout stars last year. We've mentioned that they kind of run the offense through him. Um, you know, when he gets hot, he can take over a game. Um, so, you know, obviously Bonton's coming back. What 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 can Kook fans expect from him this year? Well, he he played seemingly his best, some of his best games um, in bigger moments. Like he really mm-hmm. was instrumental in the the UCLA win, and then in the Oregon games, he played huge in both of those. I expect him to be much more efficient, as he really struggled with that at times. I think sometimes he, he get a little wild for sure. Yeah, and he liked to. I mean, he threw a few passes away. Um, I, so I expect trying, we'll see less of trying that. Trying to make a big play and making a mistake because of it. Yeah, but I think another year with some of those players and those passes become easy lands. And I think some of it too is realizing, like you know, you don't you don't have to carry the entire team on your shoulders. Like trust your teammates. Yeah, and if he has some shooters that can really that he can kick out, and they can knock down open shots, that's going to help him as well. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, I mean. I think there's kind of less to discuss about him than some of the other players, but I will say he was one of the most exciting players for me as a casual fan last year. When he was in the game, I kind of thought, like, all right, the Kooks might put up some points for this next, like, five-minute stretch here, you know? <laughs> um, so it's not it's not always necessarily, like... With Bonton, I kind of figure, like, there's not a lot to discuss, but boy, he's exciting. Like we should give him his due, even if we kind of know what he is, because when he's on, he's fun to watch. Exactly, and I think he got a lot of grief from a lot of the fans last year, or they're kind of frustrated because he would, when he ran, when he ran hot, he was amazing, but when he ran cold, it was ugly. Turnover machine and misses all over Oof, the goddamn place. Yeah. but boy, when he was on, it's, when he was on, it, he reminded me of like. Carter Skaggs when he was on, <laughs> yeah. where, where it was basically like, you know, just make sure he gets the ball because he's going to make every shot for the next five minutes. Yeah, and he's also a really good defender. I think that's also overlooked with him. Um, but yeah, when he was out, it was just bad news for the team. Like, nothing. So he he's the straw that stirs the drink. So 
I'm expecting him to just be better and less wild and just and more efficient. You know, basically just maturing enough to not mm-hmm. make the silly mistakes that he made last year. Yeah, or and hey, that, I mean that's what you expect a player to do. They should, you know, what they're not going to improve their athletic ability, but they should improve their maturity as a player every year. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's hop on to Tony Miller here. Good last name. Yeah. Um, so what's what's Tony Miller up to this year? What's he going to be doing for the Cougs? Well, he was. I mean, he's a walk on from Woodenville, and you know, started his career at SPU, walked on at Montana, and then transferred to Washington State and walked on. Found and not only did he do that, but he actually had a pretty impressive season. And he was a guy who filled up a stat sheet where you're just kind of like, how? I mean, he's five. Sorry, he's six five, and he's not a particularly muscular guy. But he was grabbing, you know, all sorts of rebounds as a center last year. Yeah, I was like, how the heck? I mean, how the heck is this guy getting all, you know, all these boards? He's he's everywhere. If you're six five with a great vertical, that might be better than six ten with no vertical. Yeah, I was like, so. I mean, I was continually just kind of scratching my head when he'd have like fifteen, sixteen points. Like, how did this guy score so many points? Like, he's not a... I mean, he did a... He has a decent-looking shot, but he wasn't just taking up shots. He was just grabbing a lot of offensive rebounds and, you know, stuff like that. And I do wonder, going forward, how much of that was just no one bothered to scout him, and all of a sudden you have this, like, guy who comes out of nowhere and is kind of scrappy... So or you think, you think how, maybe he's how is a, it repeatable? You yeah, think, you think he might be a regression candidate then? Potentially, um, but he has been really good at every level of basketball that he's played. Mm-hmm. He was really good in high school. He was really good at SPU. Um, he was supposedly Montana's best player as a walk-on, and um, he was super effective last year in the Pac-12. It sounds to me like he might be an adaptable player. That 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 basically yeah. like. They might figure him out. They might figure out what he did last year, and then he'll do something different. Yeah, it's. I hate to. Certainly, he's someone that you look at him and you go, "There's no way he'll be successful." But he's been successful at every level he's played at. Um, so you don't want to root some. You know, you don't want to. You would you want to pay attention to how they actually play in games? Mm-hmm. And he was very effective. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, in the there, right matchup. There, there's so much that gets, you know, put into like, oh, do they have the body? Do they have the prototype? Eventually, production matters regardless of whether they don't fit the eye test. Yeah, well, and he's he's undersized, but he he got it done. And I would assume he's going to start next year, at least to start out the year, because um, he does everything Smith asks him to. Next up, we have Vladimir Markovetsky. Uh, Mark Ivetsky was kind of the the biggest player um, in a couple ways the Cougs have gotten in a while. Um, Mark Ivetsky was somebody that I remember last year the Cougs getting him like, wow, that's a pretty good get for the Cougs. And I don't know much about basketball, but I just knew he was kind of highly regarded. Um, so year two for him, how is he going to improve? Like, what do you what do you expect from Mark Ivetsky this year? Well, he looks to me. Early on in, in last season, he was battling, I think, a foot injury or, or something. and Looked a bit slow, but when he would stand in the paint on defense, I mean, it really messed with teams to see a guy who's 7'4", you know, <laughs> kind of in there. And uh, that was really helpful, but he really has soft hands and 
just you know decent enough footwork to where he could really be a force to stop in the paint. I mean, he's a he's a great guy for like a pick and roll type situation because um, no one can really match up with him um, height wise. So if you don't have someone in his way, um, and as he gets bigger and stronger, it's just harder to keep somebody out of his way. Kind of reminds me in some ways of like Yao Ming back when he was just so much taller than everybody else on the, the floor. It's it, it becomes a bit of a matchup problem. Um, so I think with another year, um, he, he is developing into being a very dominant uh, inside force within the conference. Mm-hmm. And he's someone who can really help you take on anybody in the country because it's just it's really hard to match up with a guy his size. Sure, even if he's not great, like he could kind of just reach up and let yeah. the ball go and it's in the hoop. Yeah, and he's he's pretty I mean, he is pretty skilled. He's not just someone who is really tall. Right. I think he's, he's learned how to skilled and tall, but he's tall enough that he doesn't he, he doesn't have to be as skilled as he is to be good. Yeah. He's not going to be able to uh extend out on the perimeter and and defend against a lot of those mid-range jump shots. So he is for certain matchups, but he's you know, he's gonna draw a lot of fouls, he's gonna get a lot of easy buckets, and he's gonna give uh his other players on offense more room because he's got a certain gravity to him because if you leave him alone near the paint, that's just an easy two. So I expect him to, to play more next year, um and, and to really hopefully by the end of the year, develop into a real force and hopefully be the best center the Cougs have had since Aaron Baines. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking for him to really show that this year, that he's going to be that guy. Well, I'm going to pop forward here to the next name. And, um, you know, I don't know if he's the most impactful player on the court. I don't think he's a bad player. Um, though I think he's had more influence on WSU beyond just what he does on the court. Um, before we get to that... I just want to get your opinion on DJ Rodman as a player, and then we can kind of get to his impact on the on the actual university itself after you kind of break down what DJ Rodman did last year and what we could expect from him this year. I mean, I know he's a very different player from his dad. He's not, you know, just like the ultimate rebound machine. Uh, but, but tell me a little bit about DJ Rodman, the player, and then let's talk about DJ Rodman's impact on the university after that. Well, he had, he was someone who, when he came in, was thought of as really an offensive first player, and he wasn't like his dad with you know, the rebounds and the, and the defense. But at least last year, I think that was his best qualities. Mm-hmm. I mean, he played pretty good defensively. Um, he did he did shoot okay from three uh, in certain games. Like I don't think we beat Oregon without DJ Rodman's contributions. Um, but he played a lot of really smart basketball, mm-hmm. and you you saw him, you know, doing a good job of sticking on his man and and being pretty tenacious in passing lanes and and just sort of being someone who didn't give any. He wasn't annoying the way Dennis Rodman could be, where you could tell, like, oh, man, he's actively needling. Like, people were pissed that they yeah. had to play Dennis Rodman. <laughs> yeah. I think Noah Williams actually brings some more of that, but mm-hmm. but she always saw, like, you know, DJ is playing really smart basketball, and 
you're going to have a, a frustrating night if he's on you, not because he's doing anything irritating or cheap, but just because he's playing you really hard. Like he's always there. Yeah, he's always there. You're not you're not getting anything easy. And so going forward, you think he's going to take on a, a bigger role because he's very competent. I'd like to see him work his way into the offense more because mm-hmm. he's got it. He's got a decent shot. So he's a guy who could hopefully develop into a double-digit score. So he can develop, but you yeah. think Smith was kind of just using him for what he was already good at last year? Or? It could have been. I I just think he's someone with a really good work ethic on, on the court, and anytime you have that, uh, there's always a spot for someone in the rotation who, who you know, who is going to give you everything they have and mm-hmm. doesn't need to have the basketball in his hands in order to feel like he's making a contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was the player on the team last year that I would say, you know, man, he he didn't really do much on the stat line if you just looked at that, but he seemed to actually have a pretty good game because he was impacting plays. He was an eye test pass, but, you know, maybe nothing on, on, yeah, on not in the as, box Not as or... much, yeah, you know, like three rebounds and an assist. And, but you could tell he's annoying points. people out Yeah, there. you're like, but he's... he's his guy's not even getting the ball passed to him because he's... It's like he's how Richard somebody Sherman stopped getting interceptions because <laughs> people stopped throwing to him. Some ways. I think that's a good example. Um, so I, I, I think he'll play next year. I just don't know how much. Depends on how the rest of the team evolves around him. Sure. Um, now, obviously, there's the impact of being Dennis Rodman's kid, you know, that brings some elevated light to um, Washington State University, but I don't think that's the number one impact... Um, so if we could just take a quick olive branch off here into WCU soccer. Yeah. Trinity Rodman, number one soccer recruit in the nation. Let's be honest, no way she comes to WSU without her brother being there. Uh, what a nope. get for, and again, like this could be seen as a Kyle Smith thing, as a Pat Chun thing, however you want to put it. Um, DJ Rodman coming to WSU is the reason why WSU has the number one soccer recruit in the nation right now. And the way WSU soccer played last year, they might be a real championship contender now that they've got, you know, theoretically the best new player in the league coming in. Uh, if we just want to take like a two or three minute detour into Trinity and, and women's soccer. Yeah, it's certainly, that's part of, if you get people to Pullman, and you can kind of check it out. It's a pretty cool place. And People love unique. it once they're yeah. there. Yeah, it's it's definitely different, um, and it's very appealing. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's not going to be for everybody, but it's. I think a lot of people see the charm in Pullman. Sure. Certainly and I gotta think, there. I got to think, like, athletes... Look, look, let's be honest. Let's not sugarcoat things. Pullman has a party culture. Athletes like to party. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know about them individually, but... Yeah, but 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 I like I was I didn't go to those parties, but I heard stories. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, especially the Jeff Tool starting quarterback stories. <laughs> how he, that's how he introduced himself at every party. <laughs> but that oh. just showed he was the T O O L Tool as well. <laughs> anyway, uh, back to Trinity. If you got anything to say about her, I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't. I know yeah. you're not a huge soccer person, but but I think. The, hey, I, I, I think the we impact. all were watching the Cougars make their run into the, uh, in, yeah, the NCAA soccer yeah. tournament. And honestly, like, um, I, I think that elevates the program for a long time to come. Um, not just making it there, but getting that top recruit. Like, 
this could be something that changes the strength of the women's soccer program for 15 years. Absolutely. Because, like I said, Pullman is charming, but if you can say, hey, look, this is a great town, you're not going to have any real nonsense take place in, you know, in Pullman. It's, it's pretty quiet. You don't have to worry about, you know, pandemic stuff the way you will in a major city. Because mm-hmm. it's just college kids that are there, pretty much. Um, you know, you don't have international travel really coming in and out of Pullman. And if you can compete at the highest level in a place like that, it's very appealing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a really great thing. So I, I think the, the Rodmans are Cougs, and, and let's go. Oh, no, that's that's so cool. I would have not expected... Until I heard DJ was coming to Pullman, I would have never thought, like, boy, the Rodman legacy is going to run through Washington <laughs> State. <laughs> but yeah. who, who knows what DJ could be? Who knows what Trinity could be? Uh, maybe yeah. in 30 years we're looking back and being like, Dennis was great, but boy, DJ and Trinity, the Coog uh, Rodmans, really is what took that family's legacy to the next level. Well, you know, <laughs> DJ makes a run into the, D, you know, the NCAA tournament. Um, with basketball, potentially, and who knows? You know, a deep run in the basketball uh, tournament, and you're or not the basketball, the soccer. Trinity, you yeah, Trinity. Trinity, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, she does that, and Gets all of a sudden, the US, yeah. USWNT uh, wins a World Cup, maybe. You know? Yeah, you know that could really that could really be a good thing. Yeah, not so. just for soccer, but just for the visibility of Washington State as a whole. So DJ Rodman being a pretty good basketball player for Washington State yep. might end up having huge effects for the entire university just because his awesome sister came and played for us. Yeah. So, so that's that's a good thing. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to basketball. I just I just thought yeah. <laughs> I, I I just thought Trinity Rodman was too big a story for us to ignore. Nope. Um, so so uh yeah this this name even though I have said it many times it's been many months since I've said it uh Kunk Kunk Kunz yeah Kunz yeah yeah it's just like it's always one I struggle with um you know again I I did not watch that many of the Coog games but it always seemed like he was kind of involved yeah and he's he's the one that's hard for me to really wrap my mind around um I've heard that two years ago when he came in, he was one of the Cougs' best players in practice. Like mm-hmm. He really uh, was able to dominate. Um, now, he's got the issue of he's a little bit skinny, um, and they were playing him at a four last year, and he just, at the Pac-12 level, he's just getting thrown around inside. I mean, you, I don't think he's 200 pounds, um, no matter what his official weight is. Right. Um, but he was getting thrown around like crazy there. Uh, but he d- he seems to play some pretty smart basketball. He's in a he's in a below average shooter percentage wise. He's listed six eight one ninety eight by the yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, and like that seems I, generous. I think they've yeah I think they uh, put some uh, ankle weights on him <laughs> when he stepped on the stale that day. Yeah, they they had him <laughs> in the uh, hyperbolic time chamber with Goku wearing the white weighted clothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just don't see. I don't know with him. I don't really see a path for him to get on to the court. I mean, there's a lot of things he does well. He, he 
No, he does certainly... that say more about who he's competing with or him? Because it's... it sounds like, from what you're saying, a guy that got, you know, made some, some plays last year and had some, some key minutes, yeah. he's not going to play because better players are on the court, which if that's the case, I'm into it. Yeah, I think one of the keys to getting on the floor on a basketball team is what are you the best at on the team? And, you know, what can you really add to the mix? Mm-hmm. Someone who's okay at everything, it's hard to get them onto the floor. You don't want to start Willie yeah. Bloomquist. Exactly, because it's like, well, they don't really add a dimension to They're not bad at anything, but they're not good at anything. Yes. I wonder that with him, because he's... A, He's a really t- he tries really hard defensively, but I think some of the big men that they have are going to be better defenders than he are than he is. So if you're thinking more defensively, I think a uh, maybe a Deshaun Jackson mm-hmm. or uh, or Tony Miller are going to play a little more for the defensive side of things. Uh, Miller more for quickness, Jackson more for size. Um, offensively, I think you could play uh, AJ, or you could play um, Tony Miller if you're more concerned about the offense. Um, at the three, or if, if you're going to move him out to the three, I think Carlos Rosario or potentially CJ Ellaby if he comes back. Or so DJ basically, Rodney. wherever you want to put him, somebody would be a little yeah, better. Yeah, that, that's my feeling. I could be wrong on this. I mean, because obviously the guys have to prove it, but it's. He certainly seems like good depth to have, though. Like, yeah. somebody's going to get hurt. And if you're someone not gonna, gets hurt, and you're not gonna maybe be, he finds a role. Yeah. You're not going to be... If he has to play some minutes here and there because someone better is hurt, like, it's really good to have him on the roster. Yeah. All right, well, I guess we should jump ahead here to the down under, uh, the Aussie, Ryan Rapp. So... Yeah. Ryan Rapp, he was a freshman last year. He's listed 6'5", 172. Didn't really do much last year, uh, but didn't really play much. So do you expect a jump forward, or uh, is he just kind of there? He's the other guy who I think, uh, he seems like a really good kid, and he really likes being a Coug. I just don't know. Not much of a role for him? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he seems a little, I don't know if he can quite defend against the elite point guards in the conference, because We've got some very quick point guards that you have to defend against. So I think that'll be difficult for him. Offensively, he's a good shooter, but he doesn't seem like a a really great shooter. So hopefully someone's a better shooter than him and can fill that role. Um, But he was battling an injury last year, and he provided good minutes against UCLA in particular. And so some people have said a healthy Ryan Rapp could be a pretty good player. Mm Mm-hmm. I just haven't. I mean, I just don't know. So, I I'd like to see him take a step forward, but he's gonna have to get minutes over either Bonton, Noah Williams, uh, Bamba, or uh, Kulabe, and to some extent, um, potentially Ellaby or Rodman as well. So maybe he can work his way in there. I just kind of see him as an odd man out. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's that's my gut feeling. Well, I'm glad you had a couple of people here uh, that we could kind of just gloss over before getting on to the main event here. Obviously, yeah. the Cougars' best player right now is C.J. Elby. 
Um, you know, Seattle boy, Cleveland High School, six six two hundred. So you know, filled out as well as guard tall. Um, and I mean, he plays forward, but regardless, yeah. uh, he's got that guard height. And the thing is, he. I mean, he obviously was the best player on, on the team for the Cougs last year. That game winner against Arizona State last year when he was completely gassed. The whole team was gassed. And you know what? He's just going to come out and make that shot. Uh, it's going to be his junior year. I don't know if he has an NBA future. I'm not kind of, I'm not really... Uh, generally, I kind of figure, you know, the guys that spend three, four years in college aren't necessarily going to be NBA players, but... I wouldn't be surprised if this was his last year if he thought he might have some NBA talent. Um, but let's enjoy CJLB while he while he's here and you know just wax if he's po- here. J- just wax poetic about how good CJ is. Well, I think the first thing is the reason he's got a question mark kind of by him is because he's still declared for the NBA draft, but he could go back. Mm-hmm. The NBA is giving players until I think October fourth to withdraw. Mm-hmm. So he may be he he may be back he could be gone it depends and I don't think he's a first round pick though and if you're no. not if you're not a first round pick you kind of want to come back right you would think but if a team says we'll give you a guaranteed contract and we'll we'll carry you for a year essentially on an NBA yeah roster, throw you in the G League or whatever yeah he seems to want an NBA deal yeah um, that's what he said he he wants a guaranteed deal. Uh, which is sort of rare. Interesting, because I like him, but I did not look at him last year and think, like, yeah, NBA player. I thought, like, potentially future NBA player, not next year NBA player. Maybe maybe, maybe that's just me not understanding basketball enough. Well, no. I think he's got the size of an NBA player. Like, if you look at... 6'6", six, six, 200, that's six, not six, a bad 6'6", 200, side. yeah. I mean, you play... <laughs> you can play almost all five positions on in the NBA that way. I mean... Mm-hmm. That that really, and he's got a long wingspan. Um, he he could improve on some things, particularly defensively, I think, and his efficiency as a scorer. But I mean, I understand why people think he could play at the NBA level. Um, I don't know if he's going to get that guaranteed deal that he that he's talking about, though. Um, he certainly could play overseas now. Um, but he doesn't want to do that. I think he'd rather play in college. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of he's kind of in limbo. Um, I I've really appreciated just the way that he fills up a stat sheet. Um, in that he's you know he gets more than his fair share of assists. Um, he he doesn't just hog the ball. Um, well, for a on non, a team for yeah. a non basketball fan like me, you know it seems like. He can just take over a game, you know. It mm-hmm. seems like it seems like he is the guy on the court where, when you need something to happen, whether it's on offense, whether it's on defense, CJ is going to be the guy, and he's the guy that you want the ball in his hands with the last. Uh, if you're going to have the last possession with a chance to win, you want him to take the shot. Exactly, and I also think, I mean, how many times did he grab a rebound at an important part of a game to end a possession or to keep a you know, grab one of those big offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. Um, which, when you're getting that from a guard, um, when he's playing like the two or the three, I mean, those are not the guys on the court specifically to rebound. So, yeah, I mean, he does a lot. He he gets a lot of steals. Um, so he just... I mean, sure, he averaged almost yeah. two steals a game last year. Two steals, eight rebounds, and 18 points. I mean, that's a hell of a player. Yeah, I mean, he really fills up that stat sheet nicely. 
two assists per game, too. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised it's not more, because it seemed like he had some games where he he had a ton, but... he it, Well, I think there are... For him, it feels like there are games where uh, the assist is what's open, and there are games where he's open. Yeah. And, and, and I think he's a selfless enough player where there are those games maybe he would have four or five, six assists because he was covered. But he's going to take the shot if he's open. So so I think maybe the numbers are driven down by the games where he was the guy, but he's not a, he, he's he's not going to resist making an assist because he feels like he has to be the guy. He's just going to make the smart play, whether that's him shooting the ball or somebody else shooting the ball. Yeah. Um, like, not yeah, only no, is he talented, really, he's yeah, smart. Yes, and that jumps off the page as well with him. You really see, like, oh... He's not playing. He's not just going as fast as he can. He's he's moving at a pace where he's still aware of everything that's going on around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I really would like to see him back, um, kind of selfishly. <laughs> but I also do. Want, I mean, he does not have the insane athleticism that you see sometimes uh, in the NBA. Sure. Um, which is like, well, maybe you keep him around. He seems like he might be a really good sixth man in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I I could, I can see him helping somebody win games in a rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you know, six, seven, eight, something like that, because he has some positional versatility. But I don't. Yeah, I, I just stick around for one more year, CJ. Like, you're not gonna get to, to show your best to all the NBA teams with things being kind of shut down in a weird spot. Um, well, and he's not going to be a first-round pick this year, and no. I think I, I kind of think like the NBA is the one sport where if you if if you are not going to be a first-round pick, look NFL, even MLB, if you're going to be a second-round pick, yeah, sign the deal. But in the NBA, getting a second-round pick is hardly a step above undrafted. So. Yeah. Well, and all it really takes is one team to fall in love with you and say we believe in you and you can fit into our into our plans for the future. But that's Which, a big gamble to take. Yeah, if he had had the opportunity to go through camp and really, because they'll let you work, they'll they'll let you go through workouts and an interview process and give you feedback as to where you are. Um, and if a team really kind of said like, "Hey, look, we want you. We 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 think you're a piece that we can use." I think someone that would have happened for somebody had this been a normal year, but because it's been so weird. I think he's probably safer to come back and and just get another year out of things. Um, take the feedback that the the pro teams give him on his college game and just work on those things, become a better player, and just go out next year. Because um, maybe, I mean, I think it's better for his pro prospects if he can refine a few things just sure. so someone will take him. But I also think selfishly, like, hey, maybe we can really put together something special next year. If we get him back. Yeah. Because he's your best player. So. Oh, no doubt. I mean, anybody that watched the coup game last year knew CJ was the player. <laughs> um, which which is pretty crazy to watch him um, come up and fill the shoes of uh, Noah. Boy, I've lost his name already. SDSU. Um, oh, Malachi Flynn. Malachi, Malachi Flynn. I don't know why I was thinking Noah, because we have a Noah on the team. Yeah. But no, it, it, it really was amazing to see Malachi Flynn, who I thought was pretty good at WCU, go on and become one of the best players in all of college basketball last year. 
And then the Cougs got better without him because CJ took that step forward. So yeah, yeah. Uh, CJ is boy. What really would that phenomenal. Team, what, what what would Kyle Smith have been able to do with Malachi though? Yeah, Malachi Flynn as a senior. Well, had Malachi Flynn stuck around, probably CJ a lot would be different. Yeah. yeah, Ernie Kent probably would have been able to stick around because he would have had Kent. He would have had. Uh, he would have had Malachi, Malachi Flynn, Flynn sticking around. Yeah. Robert Franks and C.J. Ellaby that last year, and they probably would have been able to go 500, and they would have kept it out for another year. Well, all right, then. Thank you, Malachi, <laughs> yeah. for transferring. Um, all right, so before we get off basketball, I'll just freeform a little bit on some Coug stuff and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I mean, I think we should talk a little bit more about how this is the 29th-ranked recruiting class. We've gone through eight players that are coming back. We've gone through six players that are new. Um, but I don't think we've quite emphasized how much 29th in the country is huge for the Cougs. And it does, it can go one of two ways. You know, if they go five or six games over 500, then maybe you can continue to build on that. But it also does, and as Coug fans, we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop a little bit. Um, the, you know, if you get the 29th ranked recruiting class and then come in, eight games under 500 and don't win a Pac-12 game, then, you know, maybe you blew this chance that you gave yourself the year before. So, I mean, obviously the 29th recruiting, ranked recruiting class is great, but I see this season as critical. So how do you kind of feel about having the 29th recruiting class and what they need to do to continue going on the right trajectory forward with it? I think this is a transitional year. Um, if CJ Ellaby is back, then you want the you know you want to win eight or nine games in conference and at least go, one in the yeah, tournament. Go to the NCAA or at least go to the NIT, mm-hmm. possibly the NCAA tournament. What I a think crazy thing to think about, given the last couple of years. That would way. really be a big exciting oh step. Yeah, if they yeah. did that, even if they were the top NIT seed or the lowest NCAA seed. Yeah, I'd be blown away. I would be so happy for that. It would be a good thing. Um, if CJ Ellaby decides to go pro, um, and I don't have any inclination really on this one way or another. I think we're, it's hard to. Hard to predict in, in just un, such uncertain times. But if if he doesn't come back, you do have a problem with who's going to handle the, the role of scoring because CJ was the guy that you're going to rely on for, you know, 20 points a night. Um, and so you need to have your top score. Um, you really needed a second score last year mm-hmm. as well. Like and then, Bonton was the closest he had to that. Yeah, Bonton could do it, but... But he was really inconsistent. You wanted Bonton to be more of your number three scorer. He was on or off. Some days yeah. he's your number two, and some days it's like, oh boy, we need to take him out. And I don't think any of the returning players are going to take the role of someone who's going to take a huge scoring load. Um, and so that means you're going to need to have two of these very talented freshmen, but still two freshmen are going to have to step up and... Uh, play a critical role for the team and so I think at that point you're really wanting to f- end up around 500 and get into some kind of a postseason tournament like a CBI and I still think that's a good thing sure I mean postseason basketball is something we've not known I mean boy it was not even something we considered when I went to school so. yeah so this next season is about starting to 
assemble the pieces in a way that's going to to build the next great Cougar team more than anything else. Because there's a lot of different skill sets that come into play, and the job of Kyle Smith is to, to take these pieces and put them into something that can compete. So it really feels nice, though, to have somebody that you you feel like is competent at the helm, somebody that's not just looking at, like, how big they are, how tall they are, how how much they weigh. Uh, somebody that's, like, it almost makes me feel like in a in a kind of early Pete Carroll way, and Pete Carroll's maybe gone a little bit into like veterans. I trust them more than I would like, but the idea of Pete Carroll's coaching early in his Seahawks tenure was like, we don't care if you're bad at five things. You're really good at one thing, and we're gonna put you in the spot where you do that one thing you do really well over and over again. Kyle Smith strikes me as that kind of coach. Like he's focused on what you can do instead of what you can't do. Uh, because at a place like WSU, now, yes, we've got the 29th recruiting class in the country, which yeah. is amazing, um, but, you know, sometimes you need sometimes you need to, when you have limited resources, just put the people you have in positions where they can succeed. Instead of focusing on what they can't do, just be like, we got five guys with five great skills, and let's make them have to only use their great skill as often as possible. And that's the type of coach Kyle Smith seems like to me. Um, he's going to make sure that your weaknesses are hidden and your strengths are enhanced. Exactly. Um, I, I think that's that's 100% right. Um, and they really do have enough... I mean, you have some guys um, like at center who are probably going to be better defenders than the other. Um, like I, I would assume Deshaun Jackson is a better defensive center than uh, Markovetsky, but Markovetsky is an okay defensive player, but it's more offensive. Sure, um, but if Deshaun doesn't step up, like you, you know, Markovetsky can do the job. Exactly. Well, you know, you've got a little depth now, which you never had in the Kent era. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the best players in the Ernie Kent era were pretty good, and I don't think he gets credit enough for sure, that. yeah, absolutely. But it's just that ability of, of like, well, if someone gets hurt or someone has an off night, we're going to lose. There, like, were, there, were, there were a couple of stars and everybody else sucked. I'm sorry, but yeah. everybody... Like, there were a couple of stars and then my boy Carter Skaggs, who might go <laughs> off for... might go six of eight from three, and that was it. Yeah. I mean, he... Carter Skaggs is so amazing. Carter mm-hmm. Skaggs is somebody that, like, did not look the part of a college no. basketball player, but, like... I don't know. I think that's why he was one of my favorites. <laughs> not not only because, not only because of that he was also a lefty. I'm a lefty, yeah. but but you know, watching the southpaw come in and just like he 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 was. I don't know if he was the smallest guy on the court, but he looked like the smallest guy on the court. Yeah, and he just well, drained. he certainly looked like the least athletic guy on the court. Sure, but then he guy on but the court. then he go put up like twenty points in ten minutes, and yeah. and the thing is like he should only play ten minutes. He'll be yeah. exposed <laughs> if you have him play more than ten. But I wonder if he can put up twenty points in ten minutes. Like Carter Skaggs' hot streaks are something I'll remember forever. Like as much as he that was a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> as much as he's somebody that will probably would not be remembered in WSU history. Boy, like his hot his hot streaks were otherworldly. Like he was he was draining him like he was Steph Curry when he was on. Yeah, no, Carsky, amazing. And we'll see what this group, you know, who we can find that that has that role. I mean, if you have enough, you need somebody yeah. that can come in and spell you and put up some points. Yeah. 
who's going to be that guy on this team? They didn't have that last year. Would have yeah. been nice to have Carter Skaggs. Who'd be, you know, I guess Darren Henson was kind of that, where he'd come in and he'd make you know some threes. It was kind of crazy. Um, but he couldn't play defense worth the lick. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I think... I just think it's going to be interesting to watch them kind of build this like little Frankenstein's monster um, out of the the cadaver, you know, all these pieces that they can get assemble. Um, so I'm pretty I'm pretty pumped about that, you know. It's going to be a good basketball season. But what about football right. season coming up? <laughs> right. Well, whether basketball season takes place this fall or in January, I mean, obviously we're in crazy times, but I do kind of think football season might also take place in January. I, I kind of, uh, you know, whether it starts on time or not, we'll see it, but I don't think it necessarily will be on time. It's not like the NFL because uh, so many more players are on college teams. There are so many more college teams. The travel is further. Uh, but regardless, I do think we should talk a little bit WSU at large, and we've only talked a little bit about Nick Rolovich and WSU uh, football, and you know we're an hour and a half into this thing, so we don't have to spend much time on it, but I do think uh, since we've been about three or four months since our last show, we should probably spend a few minutes on it. On Rolo. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I think Rolo's personality, perfect for Pullman. Um, he's really impressed me as a human being. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show, you're, you're kind of so-so on his recruiting, but I think Mm -hmm. as a person and as a personality that fits WSU. A plus. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, giving meals to students or just anybody that comes to this restaurant, uh, you know, he's, he helps the community. He's funny as hell. Um, he's a great person. What remains to be seen is how great of a coach he is. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic, but but I I do think they hired an A plus person. Yes, he has been given. Like on one hand, I think Leach left the program in really good shape. Mm-hmm. But he's now installing a new offense without spring practice. Yeah. And he's going to have a month to put that all into you know into practice once fall camp starts, without an established quarterback. Right, Ugh, that is really the biggest thing. Like, who is it? Is it Cooper? Is it Cruz? Is no it... one knows. And they haven't been practicing all together. Yeah, and and like for good reason. Yeah, you know, obviously. Yeah, but it's understandable. But it's it's hard to kind of over undergo that transition, and he hasn't been able to get people on campus and let him see Pullman, which it's, I think, very creative for him to drive around on a bike with a camera on his hat and, you know, show people this is what Pullman is like. You know, this is a virtual visit. Uh But it's not going to Pullman. Right. Pictures don't do the place justice. Right. Um, I mean, pictures don't do any place justice, but especially Pullman. Pullman might just look like a podunk town on a camera. Yeah. And you go there and it's like, well, this is you know, the best place in America. Yeah. So. Well, and Pullman without students is kind of, kind of quiet, you know? Sure. You know, but it's it's an awesome place to be. There's like 40,000 people and 30,000 of them are students. Yeah. So. It's a great place to be, you know, 19 to 22. Yeah, absolutely. Or, Um. or in my case, uh, (laughs) 22 to 24, but, you know. Yeah, it's a great place to be. And, um, you know, we'll just have to see what happens with, uh, with him, once he can, once things kind of return to normal, I think he's certainly 
is doing all the work that he can, and he's making the best of that situation. You know, well, which I is think, all you can hold him accountable for. I think being an extremely positive person actually probably helps him a lot in this situation as yes. well. Um, you know, he's somebody that he's not your old school yelling disciplinarian coach that's just gonna bitch and moan about like how the world has changed, and he's not gonna be alienating his players with an OAN shirt like Mike Gundy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like, like he seems like he's a little bit of a player's coach, which I think in today's current climate is actually a huge advantage. Because uh, he's somebody that I think, I mean, again, this is from a very limited sample of news stories, but he's somebody that I think kids feel like, he they, they're going to feel like he cares about them more than what they do on the field. And I think in this volatile environment now, uh, that might make you more willing to come somewhere if you're if if you realize your coach maybe sees you as a person and not just you know a thousand yards. Yeah. So. Well, I think Pullman itself, kind of being tucked away and remote, has an advantage in uncertain times over just big cities where there's a lot more turmoil. Sure. Um, or with all the kind of attention and that go into some of these places just some of these other college campuses. Pullman being quiet, I think, is better than ever, you know? Right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, it, you know, I think it's the duty of of coaches around the country to remind people that the University of Washington is recruiting that, like, hey, you know, there's some shootings going on, you know? within five miles of the campus of the University of Washington uh-huh. right now, right? I mean, it's important that they recruits have that information when making their decision, particularly the recruits' mothers. Right, and and especially, I mean, I mean, we, we try not to go too political here, but it seems like some of the shooters are white supremacists who drive in from out of town, and, like... Who knows? Yeah. And, and like, you know... Uh, you you probably don't have as many. You probably got some wackos in Pullman, but I don't yeah. think you've got a chapter of the Proud Boys out there. So no, it's you know it's again quiet is good in in times where they're very uncertain, and uh, you know I think that's that really sells. Uh, a crowded city in a in an era where germs are spreading around and there's a lot of unrest. Why not go to a college town where everyone's, you know, biggest concern is when the next party is? Right. Well, and sure, we're, we're you know, the thing is, like, we're over six feet away at this table as well. And, you know, I live downtown in the city, and, and I'm a city person. I, I enjoy the city. Uh, but the thing is, like, the perk of the city is that it's social. And if you live <laughs> in an era where you can't be social, um, living in the city sucks <laughs> yeah um like going going and playing football at washington right now would feel like uh you know you, you really feel trapped uh because i felt trapped like you know right now i'm up at my mom's house in edmonds that's where we're recording this podcast um being able to have a yard and let my dog out without having to take her out and not have to avoid maskless joggers on every corner um means a lot you know in Pullman 
in in Pullman, you can actually just go kind of enjoy your life. You can go outside and breathe the fresh air and be hundreds of feet from everybody. <laughs> um, so so I would say there actually probably is a lot of advantages for state schools, not just in Washington, but all over the country right now, where it's like, yeah, come to this little college town. Um, you can stay socially distanced, you can have a good time, and you don't have to feel cooped up in your dorm room. You can go outside and not feel like you're going to catch the virus. So um, that's something I'd not thought of before, but it actually probably is a recruiting advantage, at least for this year, for mm-hmm. for Pullman and schools like Pullman. Well, yeah. I mean, I know for myself, like, man, the idea of living on a farm right now and then just having to go work out, you know, do some stuff out in the field or whatever, like in your big yard. Like, I think everyone's like, hmm, that's kind of nice. Like, yeah. I don't want to... I was happy to mow my mom's lawn yesterday. Exactly. It felt great because I got to get some exercise and be outside. The uh, Yeah, there is a certain appeal that comes with, with the frontier that when you're cooped up, um, you know, because... When you don't have yeah. to be cooped up, the city's great. When you have to be cooped up, yeah. And 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 again, like you know, I'm like the most city per. I'm probably yeah. the most city person you're close friends with. Yeah. Um, and even I'm like, boy, there's no point in being in the city right now. The city, the city sucks for me, and I love the city. So yeah, and like you know, like my wife and I, you know, we were like we were never home because between her school and my work, I mean, it's like. Or saving to buy a house, so mm-hmm. why pay a couple hundred extra dollars in rent, you know, just for a place that we weren't going to be in anyway, and then we get locked up for three months, and you're going batty because it would have been nice to have another 200 square feet, you know, but... Oh, I know. 375 <laughs> square feet, and you can't go outside? It's pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, like, there's only so much Fortnite and Animal Crossing can do for you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so. we're like we're in a two, we're in like a two bedroom. Uh, you got a nice spot. I remember yeah. we watched the Cougar it's, game there last year. Yeah, it's nice, right? But it's not big, and if that's, I mean, for we are like two months, and that's all we were at was just in our in our place, you know, where. If no matter gonna, how much you love each yeah. other, you're going to just be like, I yeah. need to get outside. Yeah, and my wife is pregnant and, you know, going through all that. And we certainly, by the end of that, were... Because if one of us is on a meeting, you can hear it in the whole house. So, you know, I'm working with clients, and she's taking school online. And mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's just kind of this crazy... We'll have crazy stories, you know. Like, even if you're the people on your individual Zoom calls can't hear your spouse, you can hear them in the other room. The mic might not pick it up but you're hearing them speak in the other room. Yeah. Which and which the thing is, like, it doesn't make it any harder for your client, but it makes it harder for you to serve them well when <laughs> you're just hearing three or four voices in the background. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're, you know, one person watches TV, you can hear it in the whole house, kind of an idea. Mm-hmm. And that gets... That's cool for a couple of days, but after a month of it, you're ready to be done. Well, it's like everybody said uh, that the first week of the pandemic would feel like spring break, and it kind of did. It was it was it was kind of nice. It's like all right, um, even though it took me two months to get my unemployment sorted out. <laughs> regardless, it was like all right, I don't have to go to work. I can just you know sit at home, hang out with my dog, uh, cook delicious food. And then one week after that, it's like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah, like I've cooked everything I know how to cook. Yeah. I don't want to look online for anything else. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I have watched all the shows that I wanted to watch and get caught up on. But now what am I going to do? Exactly. I was breaking out PlayStation 2 games. <laughs> and play, play <laughs> playing some SSX yeah, or Tony my, Hawk's Pro Skater 2 yeah, or something. All that fun stuff, you know. Like games that I hadn't... I think... I, I actually got... I made my my wife play uh, NCAA Game Breaker 98 with oh. me. That with the Cougars had with the Ryan Leaf Cougars. Your poor wife. Yeah, she was a good sport about it. You know, she was really she's really great about that. But yeah, I mean, it was we're going old school. Yeah. So I mean, she dug out games that she was playing in elementary, you know, elementary and middle school on the computer. Sure. Little, yeah. Little mystery games. I'm glad I finally uh, snagged the Nintendo Switch so I can download some classic Nintendo games <laughs> as well. You know, um, you need to some games I haven't played since I was you know, probably 12 years old. Um, anyway, I, th- I feel like we're kind of off the rails now. And, yeah. And, and I do think, you know, like, for me as a listener of podcasts, I do kind of enjoy when the podcasters go off the rails and let us into their personal <laughs> lives. But we've, we, we, you know, we're, we're, when you and I do this, we're a WSU thing. So they got about 10 minutes uh, of insight into our lives and, with the podcast I made with Shane two days ago, which I have not posted yet, um, they'll get, you know, 20 minutes of insight into Shane and I's lives. But people listen for sports, so I guess we should probably uh, wrap this up real quick. Uh, I'm I'm very happy to talk about a number 29-ranked recruiting class, a little bit about yeah. Cougar football. Always talk about how great it is to be a Coug. Um, You're potentially one month away from fall camp starting. Yeah, well, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> Could it I'm I'm going to be optimistic until they say no. Yeah, I you will know? I I will be hopeful until they say no, but I will not be optimistic. And here's and I think there here's is a, a key really po- here's a really positive sign. Um, Under Armour is backing out of their uh, 15-year, 280 million dollar. Uh, apparel deal with, with UCLA. UCLA. Yeah, I heard someone ask why, and the first comment I saw on Twitter was the best because UCLA sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, sorry, go yeah. for it. So there is a huge, a huge risk to these schools when it comes to like television deals. Mm-hmm. Like if if ESPN says, you know what? You're not giving us like college sports. We're going to renegotiate this football deal with you, or something like that, because uh, the the rationale behind Under Armour is like, well, you're not. <laughs> we're paying you all this money to get help the us out. U- yeah, get the ESPN money essentially. Yeah, essentially. But yeah, so some of the the big money that's flowing into college sports right now, because all these other countries are, are all these <laughs> countries, colleges. all these other companies are looking Co- for com- ways companies, to yeah. cut costs. Because like Disney right now is not making money. Yeah, I mean they will. So they're next looking year, to save but money. All these big companies are yeah. still thinking two months ahead, not two years ahead. Yeah, well, I think they're looking at you know we've made some stupid deals. Perhaps we're paying out way too much money. <laughs> so there, let's, let's the, use this to renegotiate. One right? of the benefits of the pandemic, unfortunately, there there are not many. Like uh, I'm not trying to say there are benefits. Uh, but for these big companies, they're realizing, like, oh, boy, these short-term investments were really stupid. Yeah, so they're going to cut them. And the last thing you want to do, this is why it was really, really smart of the WWE to continue to to run their programming. Because the last thing they want is for Fox or USA to decide they need to renegotiate this TV deal. 
Yeah. They're like, well, we're, we're, Do, we're robbing you blind on this, so we gotta, we're going to keep delivering our product. doesn't matter if the ratings are low. They just have <laughs> to put something out because, like, it yeah. will, even if the ratings are lower than usual, they might be higher than anything else because it is it is something people don't know the outcome of yet. Yeah. So. Well, and, and just, yeah. You, even though Vince McMahon knows the outcome. Yeah. <laughs> keep... And, keep and, and keep like, delivering let, let, the product that you're... First yeah. of all, let's not make this a defense of Vince McMahon. I do think that it's kind of pretty reckless what they're doing there, but uh, from a business standpoint, it's a good idea. Yeah. From a moral standpoint, <laughs> it's questionable. But if you're talking from a business standpoint, yes, WWE made the right decision. Yeah. Um, we can argue all day about whether it's moral or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, cynically, there's a lot of, you know, there's a, like... So much money is coming in from TV, and I think, you know, like particularly like the Pac-12 or some of these conferences that have deals that maybe aren't worth uh, what they're getting paid, and if they were renegotiated, wouldn't be worth as much. I think there's a huge incentive for them to get out and figure out, I mean, if it's humanly possible, I think they'll do it. You tell me that maybe... Larry Scott is going to win the long game against DirecTV thanks to coronavirus? No. Oh, thank I mean, goodness. Uh, yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> no. Because, because I'm, I'm not, not trying to... I, I'm not, I can't I am sell not, that. I am yeah. not ready to give Larry Scott an ounce of credit. No. Um, but it would be really bad if... Uh, like, if but, but imagine if Network pulled yeah. out of ESPN or something. Well, so let's just imagine here, like with the Pac-12, or the... Where they're like, you know what? No one really watches the Pac-12 or cares about the Pac-12 nationwide because you're the conference hasn't really been super relevant. They're the fifth best Power Five conference. Yeah, and there's a clear separation there. So if they're like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna renegotiate this deal, you know, because you've got no leverage. You know, where are you gonna go? Well, oops. At that point. Um, so the conference is going to want to be able to deliver some football, and you know the SEC will not cancel. Oh yeah, I mean unless you know? unless the government tells them no, yeah. they're going. And good um, luck telling them no, because I think they would they would uh, grab their guns and <laughs> defend the stadium to have football going on there. The well-regulated militias <laughs> that are supposed to be against government tyranny that have been defending the government the last couple of weeks. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying, like, they're not going to stand for it in the South. Um, yeah. Bama's they love gonna, their football. Bama's yeah. going to play even if they're going <laughs> to play the other 50 guys on the team. Yeah. You know, like, they might play 12 games against the other half of the roster, but... Yeah, Fuck, they're gonna do it. It's happening. It's <laughs> going down. So I don't know. I think there there's a huge incentive um, to make that happen, um, mm-hmm. and so I'm inclined to think that it will. Um, now I think you're seeing junior colleges, which you know, okay, they lose money on football every year. Yeah. So okay, of course they're going to cancel their season. Maybe what they gain is if one of their stars goes to a big program and they can then market like, hey, this guy played here, and they make a bunch of money off their likeness and image. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that doesn't happen in junior college. No one cares unless you get a reality show. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's just the nature of it. Or like, I think some Division two schools have canceled, and and they will. I don't know about the FCS. 
But it's hard for me to think, especially the Power Five, that they're gonna they're gonna go away. Yeah, and I'm I'm intending to think any any uh, FBS school is gonna do that, and maybe you alter the postseason. I think it's a fantastic opportunity to impose a playoff system, right? Because yeah, I mean, who's gonna really travel to these bowl game sites as fans? Um, but a playoff, you can just do it at the home stadiums and uh, you know, kind of set that precedent. Um, you know, is it really? I don't think January football works because that's such a short turnaround. So many, so many yeah. cold weather places too. Any other sport, I think you could push back the season. Um, I, I don't even think the weather is a big deal, but you would be playing your next season in the fall, and so as opposed to being on a a twelve month cycle. You know, between the start of each season, you're starting another season eight months after the last season started. See, I think, I think you just, I think you just have to ease it back into the normal schedule. Like, if you played your football season in January, then instead of starting in August, you would start in October, or maybe you would start in November. Then the next year you'd start in October, and then the next year you'd start in September, and you'd slowly work yourself back. I think I think that's doable. Potentially uh, there. But 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 you're right that they couldn't just start the season in January and then be like, August, we're going again. Yeah, which I thought, like, okay, let's do it. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, ooh, injury, all that fun stuff. People getting ready for the NFL draft. Um, yeah. You know, because that's the thing. The NFL's not going to move its time frame for nobody. Oh, I know. Like they—they they are like the SEC in that, like you know, you are going to have to tell us it's illegal before we do it. Yeah. Don't before we don't do it. You know. Yeah. Well, and I think if they were going to cancel the NFL season, without re—I mean, I think it'd be very difficult. You'd really have to convince most people that there is no other way. Right. Uh, I think there will be an NFL season, but I don't know if it starts in September. Yeah. I think it might get pushed back. I mean, Either that or they make it a 12-game season and start it in October. Like, the NFL will happen whether it's a good idea or not, uh, yeah. but but I don't know if it starts in September. Because I think a lot of people will say, okay, just have it in empty stadiums. You know, yeah, make but, it happen. They're well, doing it in so- with soccer. Yeah, but there, there are a lot... The skeleton crew for soccer, even including players, is a lot smaller than the skeleton crew for football. That's true. And, and, and also, even though soccer is a semi-contact sport, it's not like people are breathing into each other's mouths on every play. Yeah. Though I have seen <laughs> um, models for, like, a company designed a COVID helmet, and my thought is, like, does it actually work, or does it just make people think it's safe? Like, what's important is are you yeah. breathing particles on each other or not? If you if you aren't, if it truly is like keeping it within you and and allowing you to take the breaths you need to play, cool. But if it's just for show, like man, we could go we could go a fall without football. I love football. It's you know, I mean, as much as I love the sport, I'd rather lose one year than all the years. Yeah. So well, We'll see. I I mean, again, get some cloth over their face and let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> That'll be tough for the uh, the O linemen, I think, though, because like they're huffing and puffing after every play. Yeah, 
Well, or, or the D line. I mean, the one, the the two against each other there. Like yeah. wide receivers and DBs are probably fine. Quarterbacks probably fine. They're you know the only time they get someone in their face is uh, like truly breathe it in their face is a couple times a game. It's the trenches. Like I think you're going to see a lot of O line and D linemen that are testing positive if you're playing games because they can't help but breathe in each other's face. Yeah. Um. Well, that's why if you can get some sort of a mask that can stay on. Well, here's hoping that those COVID helmets that they've designed are effective. Um, but, for uh, like, I've seen them. Uh, I've seen some mock-ups of them. And if they work, great. But I worry that they're only cosmetic and make people think that they're okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it, like, they have to be, they have to be very proven important. scientifically yeah. effective. Be, not just like, well, you know, our fans are going to think it's safe. Yeah. So... Well, and I think under any, you know, circumstances that they have, I mean, I think, yeah, maybe you see less no huddle. Um, no, sure. I mean, they are, I mean, the passing game particularly already, you know, there's not a ton of, like, pileups back when it used to be, you know, we just hand the ball off to the, you know, we're going to run off tackle. And then the everyone Seahawks, runs the same spot and converges. The Seahawks would have the most COVID cases in the league with how much they run the ball. They do. <laughs> but particularly at the college level, you don't have a lot of just everybody rallies the ball. I mean, right. you got to spread the whole field. It is pretty spread out as is. Um, there's going to be some contact. I would think it's it's minimal. Hey, in some you, ways, basketball, they're probably bunched closer together, even you, though they're not tackling each I other. Mean, I mean, you know what? You want to minimize the risk of COVID at Washington State. You just give the ball to Max Borgie every time because <laughs> nobody can touch him. Exactly. So, And I wanted to make sure we didn't go through an entire Coog podcast without saying the I name am Max really, Borgie. I am really proud of you for sneaking that in <laughs> before... Before we go off the air. Yeah, here we are at the two-hour mark, but there was no way I was not going to let Max Borgie's name be let said Max at least go. three times, and that is the third time I've said it. So. Yeah, well, I, I'm optimistic that the season is going to happen. I think there's a lot of reason for it to happen. Um, you know, and we'll just kind of see. I mean, it could things could get a lot worse. Um, I mean, the thing know. is, anybody that can tell you what's going to happen a month from now or even a week from now yeah. is full of shit. Yeah. Um, nobody knows. No one knows. So so I'm I'm with you that I hope it happens, uh, but I do think that, you know, it was, it was incredibly nice to actually spend two hours talking about something that's not doom and gloom. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed talking some Cougar sports with you. I enjoyed spending about an hour talking Cougar sports with you beforehand. I'm sure <laughs> we'll spend 10 or 20 minutes before you go home after this talking a little bit more about sports. Mo, but mo Cougs. Exactly. Yeah, uh, so, so Brent, thank you so much for joining me today, and I will make sure I get this on the air one day after the podcast with Shane to give it a day to breathe. Uh, but I do think we should probably wind the recording down here. Um, we can we can bitch and whine about other sports off the air. So, so Brent, thank you so much for joining me again. Um, and let's hope we are able to do a lot more of these in the coming months. I, I really enjoyed doing this, and I miss doing this. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a normal activity, and normal activities are good to do right now. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, let's end it with the the usual. Let's do this. Go to go to and bullshit and party and bullshit.
knew from the projects. Said he had beef. Asked me if I had my piece. Sure do. Two twenty twos in my shoes. Holler if you need me, love. I'm in the house. Roman Strong, see what the honeys is about. My wet poppin' hoe, hoppin' ain't no stoppin'. Big Papa, I'm a bad.